Hello and welcome back to Equity, TechCrunch's venture capital-focused podcast where we unpack those numbers behind all those headlines. My name is Alex Wilhelm and I am not in charge today. Natasha is because we are talking about EdTech and IPOs. I'm here to talk numbers. Natasha's here to talk all about EdTech. Natasha, there's been IPOs in the EdTech space. There's been big IPO news out of China, EdTech news out of China. Oh my gosh, I'm blown over. Talk me through it. I do feel like even though it's my beat, it's like a perfect combination of our two love languages, which is public markets <laughs> and education. And so it's honestly fitting that we're doing this together. And we're just going to be nerding out today. This week, the biggest thing to wake up to on Monday was hearing that China is cracking down on tutoring startups in the country. Yes. Alex, I know you wrote a piece about it. Um, what were some of the restrictions that kind of caught your eye when you first saw the, the latest regulations that it rolled out? Yeah, so this kind of got rumored last Friday is how right. I think about it. And so there was fear in the market about what might happen. And then over the weekend, it all came true and then some. It was one of those like the rumor was not as bad as the news. Usually it's kind of the other way around. Mm -hmm. um, the gist is the Chinese Communist Party and various regulatory bodies of that government decided that the especially the tutoring focused part of the ed tech world in China wasn't doing what it wanted, I think is a reasonable way to say that. And so there's a lot of new restrictions and rules around these companies. If you are a company that's offering tutoring services in China, you are going to have to become a nonprofit. And as everyone out there knows, startups often lose money and they're therefore de facto <laughs> nonprofits, but it's not the goal. The goal is to it's eventually, yeah, it's, it, you burn money while you're growing, it's totally fine, et cetera. But to be forced into a nonprofit stance long-term is not good for companies that want to go public and provide good returns. On the IPO point, tutoring companies in China now cannot be built. They, you can't start new ones and you can't go public and you can't right. raise foreign capital. And there's a couple other restrictions as well about length of lesson and giving children eye breaks so they don't have poor eyesight. It's really a holistic change to a, an enormous market in China. I mean, Natasha, China has been the ed tech market for, for years. Ever since I started covering it, it's actually been pretty well to see when EdTech first blew up in the U.S. in the beginning of the pandemic last year. Every investor I spoke to cited China as proof of what U.S. would look like eventually. And, yes. and the proof was parent investment in their child's education and the Chinese government now reacting the way it did was actually the way it's been framed is that the Chinese government wanted the digital divide and the inequality and who can pay for what services to lessen. That was kind of like the framing. And we definitely already are seeing U.S. ed tech investors react. You know, I, I talked to a couple of my favorites, if I'm allowed to say that, on, on how the Chinese regulations are impacting their investments. And the TLDR is that we are pausing slash didn't engage with it for a long time for this reason. So splitting that into two camps, then I read this piece that you put together. It was actually uh, not to be overly kind to someone on the show, but it, <laughs> it was good. It was Thank good. You. Yeah, I loved Thank it. I, I was a little surprised that people were not more freaked out. I think that's the camp of people who are not engaging the Chinese market in general. And the other folks are, are saying they're going to pause. But to me, given the, the scope of regulatory changes, given how ed tech stocks have been impacted, showing broader investor sentiment about this change in China, uh, it, it feels like the end of days for for-profit ed tech in China. And I was surprised there wasn't more investors willing to own up to reality in your piece, if yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I have two bits before we, you know, we'll move on to a more positive aspect of the show. Yeah. But, you know, one was Learn Capital, which is has a taken VIP kid or VIP kid. I always forget which is the correct pronunciation. I say VIP kid for what it's worth. Okay. 
let's go with VipKid. Sure. Uh, they didn't respond to comment. And I do think that part of that is that they are the, probably the ad tech fund that has the most exposure to Chinese startups. So noteworthy there. Number two is, yeah, people are kind of taking a break on China and all energy is going towards India. So GSV Ventures has made a commitment to putting a lot of money towards Indian ed tech startups in its next fund. Okay. Deborah Quazo, the managing partner there, said that like half of GSV's next fund will probably go to India at tech. And that's a big statement when their first fund had only one international investment. Well, I mean, the, the Indian startup market has been on a tear. I mean, to be clear, not the only country seeing it outside. It's kind of a boom in investment. Canada has been doing very well. Africa as a continent had a really amazing kind of Q1 and Q2. So, you know, eh, India is a growth story, but to see half of a fund go to one country's one vertical, that's aggressive. But I mean, it's yeah. it's there's a lot of folks. So why not? I'll take it. Mercedes Bent, who is an investor at Lightspeed, pointed out the Chinese ad tech market is crumbling while the U.S. ad tech IPO market is on fire this week, especially, um, which brings us to the topic of today's show, which is these two ad tech IPOs that literally priced on the same day. We had Duolingo, a consumer ed tech company that helps with language learning and power school, which sells software services to K through 12 schools. They both listed on the NASDAQ this morning and we'll walk through the numbers. Alex, which one do you want to start with first? Let's definitely do Duolingo first because it's the one that I know the best and therefore okay. I'll sound the least stupid. <laughs> so so Duolingo was privately valued at $2.4 billion before it filed its S1 and now has listed. And we're seeing a pop, Alex. It priced at 102 and spent the day in the 130s. It's not a big enough pop to get Bill Gurley mad, I don't think. Uh, and so I would call it kind of like dead on as far as pricing goes. You want to have a good first day. You want to, you know, you don't want your early investors to just dump your stock. And so this is a reasonable compromise price point. And I think personally, it's a relatively bullish result for EdTech in uh, the U.S. And we talked to Luis Von Ahn, the co-founder of Duolingo right before this chat, and he kind of walked us through what the sentiment has been like. We did the interview from a windowless room. Yeah. Um, which was which was very fun to see um, in real life. Um, but the standout to me, and I'm, I'm curious what you think too, Alex, the standout to me was Luis basically saying that like investors aren't really looking at Duolingo as an ed tech company, period. They're likening it to a tech company with ed tech focus. And even in the roadshow, he found themselves not being compared to companies like Coursera, which went public recently, but instead to companies like Spotify. And he didn't name this company, but he said a dating company, and I'm going to guess it's Tinder. Yeah, I mean, like, there's only a couple of dating <laughs> companies that it could possibly be. But it, it was interesting because you know one thing we were doing a lot of math on as a pair throughout the Duolingo IPO pricing run-up was, what's the multiple? And if you're listening and you don't know what that means, let me tell you. So essentially, <laughs> every company has a valuation, and every company has a revenue result from the last quarter. You want to figure out the revenue multiple, take the last quarter's revenue, times it by four, or multiply it by four if I can speak English correctly, and then take the valuation and divide it by that number. And that'll give you kind of a current present run rate figure. And these matter because companies that have higher margins and faster growth and stickier revenue get higher multiples and companies that don't have those things get lower multiples. So for example, your local grocery store trades at about 0.5 sales. <laughs> That's not very good. Uh, yeah. Shopify is currently trading like 43 times sales. So you can see the enormous difference here. But with Duolingo, it came in around 15, 16 times sales before its IPO pop, which was better than we expected because it is a consumer facing edtech company. And investors have so long told us that consumers are hard to sell to and that edtech is not really venture backable. 
And here was a venture-backed EdTech consumer-facing company going public at a better-than-median SaaS multiple, which was impressive, frankly. I thought it was quite good. You know, obviously, I have a soft spot for this company after covering them. I think that they have a lot of work to do now with this kind of eyes on them. And I'm so excited that we get to see their financials on an ongoing basis. But yes. beyond that, Luis mentioned during our call that even though they in their S1, they mentioned M&A, he said it's not something that's really happening as we speak. I have been betting, and I know we have some founders that are, will be joining us soon, that Duolingo is hungry for acquisitions because it has so much work to do about getting better at learning and comprehension. But Luis said that that's actually not what they're going to be putting all this money toward and instead kind of kept it vague and said, we're going to keep operating Duolingo as it always has been. Yeah, he did hit a great number of the IPO greatest hits, <laughs> including it's not an end. It's merely part of the journey, how he stressed to employees about how nothing changes. You know, I mean, like I could literally write like a generic IPO CEO chat post. But the point about acquisitions, which we did press him on, was interesting because he said, yeah, maybe later on. And that, to me, felt relatively honest as far as these conversations go, because mm -hmm. he, he put it out there a little bit. So if you're an ed tech founder hoping that Duolingo is about to drop some stock on your head, um, probably not going to happen in the next couple of quarters unless he was just lying to us. But, you know, he was wearing a tie <laughs> and he was so at the Nasdaq. I so, you know. I think our job as journalists is to believe anyone who has a tie on. No, no, it's right. actually, no, it's, it's the opposite of that, actually. It's the inverse. <laughs> One last bit about Duolingo before we move on to Power School which actually gives us the opposite because they're an enterprise company. Yes. Luis talked about its Asia focus. So one thing Duolingo brought up in their EC1 was that Beijing is their only international HQ. And that basically was their way of making a statement that they think the market is that big. So Luis's reaction, he's an outspoken person. So his reaction to what has happened in China was, again, I think pretty honest. He said that, I'm paraphrasing, I'd be silly to bet my entire company's you know, trajectory on just China. That said, he does think that it will take out some indirect competitors that are in the language learning tutoring space. And he's kind of thinking it six months at a time and he doesn't know what six months looks like. So they're kind of just holding their breath and and the Beijing office is watching it play out. But they are they are exposed in a way more than other companies. I, I mean, I don't think there's any ed tech company that didn't have some material China based revenues in their future plans. And that may now be scuppered. And so I think I think this is kind of a paying to revenue diversification, especially in a geographic sense, given yeah. a increasingly challenging regulatory environment for every tech sector everywhere. You know, moving along to Power School, I'll get everyone excited about it because I don't Ooh. know if Power School is as much of a household name as Duolingo. <laughs> Over the past year, a lot of EdTech's unicorns have been consumer first companies, which is actually a contrast to what the public markets look like. The public markets are full of these enterprise first EdTech companies like Chegg, like to you, et cetera, et cetera. And so having these two IPOs, a consumer one and enterprise one go back to back actually give us like the closest we'll ever see to what the public market thinks today when it has an option between two. And I'm oversimplifying it, but stay with me. Power School going out as an enterprise company to me was actually not as scary as Duolingo because it had historical examples to look at. So it wasn't like teaching public investors how to value an enterprise ed tech company. That said, it did price at the lower end of its share. I believe it had a range of 18 to 20 and at market close 18.4. So we saw a very flat reception towards the company, which I don't think is a loss. I think an tech company going public in general was as much of a reality two years ago as it is today. But that's kind of where PowerSchool is at this moment. Alex, how are you looking at them 
So looking at the numbers about PowerSchool, because I, I, I did find this to be a very interesting IPO. We're looking at essentially $142 million in revenue in the most recent quarter. That's the June period down ever so slightly from Q1, which caught my eye, but certainly up about 40% compared to the year ago Q2. So reasonable amounts of growth. It's a company that is not burning a lot of cash. It has relatively modest net losses. And so it's a business with mostly subscription revenue on an enterprise basis, kind of at scale. Okay, so what the hell does that mean? Well, doing some quick math, uh, it's worth about 3.5 billion at its $18 per share IPO price. And we did see some estimates that it could be worth as much as 6 billion. So certainly the number wasn't maybe where they'd hoped, but still it's a multi-billion dollar ed tech exit on the public markets. Hard to be too rude about it. And then mm -hmm. doing some quick math about all of this, the multiple is not super impressive. So just doing some quick math, the company is roughly valued at 6x its Q2 run rate, which is far below what we've seen from Duolingo. I think, however, that instead of seeing a pure differential between enterprise edtech and consumer-facing edtech, we're seeing a faster-growing company get a bigger multiple and a slower-growing company get a smaller multiple. And that's 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 how it should be. That makes sense to yeah, me. And that so, actually like, makes sense, question it's just mark? not as juicy <laughs> as I was hoping to get to in the numbers there, but it, this seems to be priced fairly, if modestly conservatively. And so maybe what we're seeing here is PowerSchool not being as big of a brand. Maybe it couldn't get as much interest in its shares. Duolingo, enormous brand. Everyone's heard of it. They have the dumb owl that hoots at you if you don't <laughs> conjugate your Spanish verbs. Maybe a bit more interest from the broader investing community. Well said. I think with PowerSchool, I actually had done a little bit of an interview with their CEO, Hardeep Gulati, before. And when I did ask about the listing and how he's feeling. I did note that companies like Chegg and To You have not had the easiest time in the public market so far. So even though the public markets are used to that kind of company and reading those S1s, it doesn't mean that they've been specifically receptive, as receptive as they were at the height of the pandemic. And, you know, he didn't really comment on that directly. He said that they're confident in, I'll, I'll read the exact quote, I'm confident in our business leadership position and the fact that education will continue to modernize a trend we are leading. Womp, and I don't mean to be sassy, but... I'm just going to pause there. <laughs> I, I mean, this is the issue with companies that are going public. So a little behind the scenes here. So when a startup is seed stage, it's like a founder, maybe two, three or four employees, and they've hired some NDPR person who's going to roughly keep them from saying the F word on an interview. That's that's the level of sophistication. By the time a company's like Series D, Series E, like when you get on a call with the CEO, there's like eight people in the room and it's super awkward. Yeah. And then they go public and then it's everything from before times seven because they have just been schooled in how to not go to jail by accident. And uh, they, they clam up a little bit and stick to their script. Some CEOs with more experience, a little looser, some more like that. But Natasha, to your point, to you, its share price got up as high as like 55, give or take, earlier this year, mm -hmm. down to 46 now, so some degradation there. And then in the Chegg case, it got over to like 115, and it's now down to about 88. So we've seen some come down in those stocks. Maybe that's not really helping the PowerSchool IPO so far. 100%. So I want to go to our last section of today's spaces, which is we're going to interact with some founders. I actually saw some ones that I know and really like also in the audience, so we'll bring them up too. But I think the question, Alex, you add to and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the question should be like, what are edtech startups thinking right now? Duolingo is a company that doesn't consider itself traditional edtech that has been valued very highly. PowerSchool is a more traditional startup that also saw a pandemic bump that is being received flatly, but also with 
optimism because it's doing something rare for a sector. That's that? great. That's lovely. <laughs> so yeah, I'll, 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 I'll throw the first, I guess, reaction to Taylor, the co-founder and CEO of Toucan. Taylor, would love for you to join us on stage. Hello, you both. Thank you so much for having me on. It's so great to chat. I love the previous segment too. Oh my God. I'm so glad we are talking your book. Um, for people who don't know, give us the the one-liner about Toucan, and then we'll we'll throw you on the spot to get your reactions to the IPOs. Perfect. I love it. So Toucan is the best way to learn a new language as you browse the web. We're pretty much across every single browser, although Firefox, we're about to launch over 100,000 active users now, and we've raised over $7.5 million to date. Love it. Love it. Um, and congratulations on that milestone. I know 100,000 active users is not casual <laughs> at all. So um, yeah, I mean, how have you been receiving seeing another consumer ed tech company in literally the same space as you, language learning, get the reception it did? And like, what notes have you been taking and slacks have you been sending? Yes, it's been so exciting, honestly, especially in the language learning space and ed tech space to have this big, powerful unicorn finally go public. Definitely my inbox has been filled with a ton of investor emails trying to follow up with Tukian as well. So Honestly, it's great news for us and great news for the whole industry. And then diving into the S1 for all these really interesting nuggets to try to really use them as a thing we can use as a benchmark for Toucan moving forward, whether that's for future fundraises or even internally for very interesting metrics that we, we can look at. Yeah. So Taylor, on, on that point, I'm curious how impressed you were with Duolingo or, or not impressed. When you saw the numbers, did they match your expectations? Were they a little bit soft? How'd you feel? I thought that they were fantastic. I mean, given Duo's huge brand audience, if you look at the entire competitive landscape, like Duo is definitely number one in the market that everyone's looking to, at least in my opinion. So I thought the market responded great to that as well. I did love how you guys mentioned that they're trying to compare themselves more to a Spotify or a Tinder than Coursera. And I think it's smart on their end, right? Because they're looking at time spent in app by users, very similar to time spent by a Spotify user or a Tinder user, and really leaning on their strong, strong ends on gamification, which is really their bread and butter within their app. So a, a, a quick question about that, because I'm very curious how, when you have raised money for Toucan, what were the comps that VCs were kind of viewing you through? Were they more ed techie or did you also get these Spotify slash Tinder comps? Definitely leaned on the consumer comps as much as humanly possible. The, <laughs> we had, we essentially had two or almost three strikes going against us while we were fundraising. We're not only an ed tech company, but a language learning company and also browser extension first. So we were navigating a lot of things while we were fundraising. But the benefit for us is we don't require time out of people's day. Got and it. so we were able to leverage that versus a duo or any of these others in the competitive space. We're really trying to take time out of your day. And we're a really great partner for those other apps, tutor marketplaces, you name it out there. Perfect. Let me also bring on um, the CEO and co-founder of Solo Learn, which raised $24 million this past week. We actually talked about them on the podcast last week, but they um, have a bite-sized Duolingo-like mobile-first coding education app. Ah, a mouthful. I love I love but, this company. Um, yeah, cool. Hey, how are you? Yeah, great to be here. So yeah, we're solo learning. We're about helping people gain the skills they'll require to succeed over the next 10 years. Very heavily focused on learning experience. 
uh, a combination of theory, practice, and peer-to-peer -peer help. So mobile first available on all platforms have grown to 21 million users in virtually every country organically, never paid on user acquisition. So basically we're bite-sized, we work towards becoming a habit in our users' lives, and we strongly believe that content has become a commodity, but the focus of EdTech moving forward should be on community and learning experience because as humans, we'll need to learn to learn on our own. So self-learning will be the way we upskill on the go. We haven't quite figured out that, that like the, the, new, the new learning experience, like the tech-enabled learning experience that actually works at scale. So that's who we are. One of my first questions when I first read the story that Ingrid wrote about SoloLearn, Duolingo is good at getting motivation as a product. SoloLearn wants to do motivation and strong outcomes that are very obviously tied to things you can measure because coding is a little bit less of an art than a language. Uh, I feel like I'm going to annoy someone with that. But <laughs> I, I do feel like tracking the results of coding is one of the promises that SoloLearn wants to make a reality. So how have you been explaining to investors that sure, Duolingo proves that you can get engagement, but they really haven't proved that you can get like, you know, true fluency. How have you kind of addressed the questions around, can you do fluency from a bite-sized app? Yeah, that's a very good question. I think we're still like figuring that out ourselves, but with coding, you're right. Like we track user activity on the platform and we see their project. So, and, and that's how employers basically hire programmers today in today's like world. So in coding, it's all about practice and eventually it becomes your project portfolio that makes you competitive in the world. But that being said, we are seeing huge population of like newcomers to SoloLearn, which are not necessarily a coder to bees, but these are professionals like business people, marketers, finance people who also need like some sort of a technical literacy to succeed in their current job, like to stay in their current jobs and then like get promoted or like land a new job as a marketer. That's what we're working on right now. Like how do you measure a technical literacy of a marketing person? Well, I'll, I'll be totally honest. The last time that I really wrote code was high school and it was C++ and it went very poorly. Uh, my, my question is about to, to whom do you sell? Natasha puts you in a, uh, an enterprise kind of frame to kick things off. Um, but parsing through the site, it does feel a little bit more kind of like consumery given the pro product. So can you run us through uh, who is the kind of the core customer of SoloLearn? Yeah, sure. We're like direct to consumer. Uh, the biggest audience that we're serving are still students who are looking to land their first job. But then the second, like the like user base that we're catering to are basically like professionals who want to upskill. And that is more recent. I mean, we were pitching it six years ago, but like no one really believed us then. <laughs> so yeah, but then we're seeing like more and more LinkedIn job posts for marketers, okay. finance people requiring like technical literacy and some coding skills. So this is the second like biggest population on SoloLearn. Well, thank you for underscoring, I guess, this idea that things are actually changing for ed tech startups. I do want to bring up Philip Cutler from Paper, they raised 100 million in July. And um, Philip, you are in the wild world of selling to K through 12 schools. So give us your first take on 
the Power School IPO. Yeah, thanks, Natasha. I'll start by saying overall, this is all just very exciting for education in general. We got just ed tech, but there is a transformation happening in our education space broadly. And seeing three three companies go public in the last week, the third being Instructure, which makes the Canvas LMS, some people may be familiar with that. This is all a very strong indication that A, the industry as a whole is, is transforming and there's an appetite for transformation. With regards to power school specifically, Natasha, you and Alex were sort of speaking in the earlier segment about the fact that, you know, um, Duolingo is multiple, very different than what power schools received. But power school is a much older, more established company, right? They were founded in 1997. They've been around for 20 plus years and they've built the business over the last few years, especially through acquisitions, right? And, and most notably the acquisitions of Navios. Which makes, uh, you know, which is a SaaS solution as well as Schoology. So they've built the business a very different way than Duolingo has. Um, and I think because of that, you know, they don't always get the same consumer attention that a consumer company would be, but they're, they're a powerhouse. I mean, they're an incredible brand, they're an incredible company, they've done some fantastic stuff. Um, but I think it's very different growth rate, obviously, and, and a very different story behind them. And, and overall, um, you know, when we look at sort of both the power school and instructor IPOs, I think it suggests that there is an appetite from public markets. And we're seeing this more consistently now, at least on our, on our side, that folks are excited about some of these enterprise B2B education solutions that historically may not have been the most well received because the education system has just been reluctant to change. And now there's just such an appetite for, for innovation you throw in an extra $200 billion through the three stimulus packages that were approved that's specifically earmarked for, for our schools, there's a lot of money out there that's going to be pumped into innovation. So there's some exciting stuff happening. I mean, seeing these companies go public is, is very encouraging for, for companies like Paper, but for everybody in education, you know, just the, the whole system is transforming. So, Philip, I, I was really fascinated to see that you guys put together a $100 million Series C I think that would have been a Series C fund back in 1997 when Power School was getting off the ground. So how times have changed. Uh, but I'm very curious why you put so much capital uh, into the company's books and kind of like wh- what's the thing you're trying to accelerate to reach right now as a business? So we're growing incredibly quickly. And I don't think this is so different from a lot of the other transformational education businesses and, and honestly, transformational businesses in general. We created this whole new category of what we call educational support systems. And what we're best known for is our high dosage tutoring, right? So students are able to get support 24-7, click of a button, any topic that they need. And it's all provided through their school district. So the school actually is the direct, like is the customer and they're providing this service in an equitable way. So every student is able to get the support that they need. The capital that we raised is really to help us continue the growth that we're seeing. You know, we have only really been in market for about three years. And in that short period of time, we've seen very rapid adoption and just the credibility in terms of what we're doing in the market has been very, very well received by school districts. So overall, we're excited when we look at these companies like PowerSchool, like Instructure, you know, they're not that far ahead of where we are and where we want to be in the next year or two. So it's exciting times for us. And I think the capital we've brought in gets us closer to those milestones that we want to reach in the next you know, 12 to 24 months. Thank you so much for your comments. And thank you, everyone. My takeaways from our conversation to give a little wrap up, I feel like EdTech's bench- benchmark is changing. It's no longer 
just compared to the single ed tech company on the public markets, but it's compared to the likes of Spotify and Netflix. And that is all exciting. As Philip mentioned, there are multiple ways to build an ed tech business. So PowerSchool may not be valued like Duolingo, but it is a sign of how that kind of business can exit and that it can exit in the first place. And that early stage ed tech is still exciting, fun and aspirational. It all makes me really excited. Thank you everyone for joining. Thanks, Alex, for being a great co-host and Taylor, Philip, Anada and Yeva so much for sharing your perspectives. This will be on the podcast fees feed on Monday. So go subscribe to Equity wherever you listen to podcasts and follow us all on Twitter because you just should. 